I'm your host, Seth Day. I use he and they pronouns, and you're listening to Rad Child Podcast. Thanks for joining us for another episode of Rad Child Podcast. So today we're going to be talking about um, grief and death, uh, and I'm going to invite my guests to introduce themselves. So uh, my name is Bish. I'm uh, based in Montreal, uh, Quebec, Canada. Uh, pronouns him, them, they uh, work fine, whatever is Whatever is the simplest. Life is complicated enough, to be honest. <laughs> yeah, I have a daughter. Her name is Elise, and she is, she will be four in almost exactly a month. And oh, that's fun. Yes, May 5th, and she's very excited. She's already talking about it. Um, <laughs> I am sure there, there have been birthday parties at the daycare for other kids, and she's not, mm-hmm. going, she's not going to be part of that because the daycares are closed. So I'm going to have to do something fun here at home by ourselves. <laughs> I, I saw the other day on Facebook there was a, a baby who was turned one during, you know, during this quarantine time, and they had the parents set up like a whole thing with the baby in the crib, and it had like caution tape all over it, and and there was a big like invitation on the wall that said none of you were invited. Uh, <laughs> and I, appreci- I appreciated that. We have to find ways to make this <laughs> a little fun, right? Amazing. And actually, um, we can talk a little bit more about what your, both for both of you, what your connection is with the topic of grief. And so the reason I'm on this podcast uh, today is that, so um, up until seven, eight months ago, uh, my mother uh, lived with me. And I have at least half the week, me and her mother are separated. Mm-hmm. And uh, I keep her from Sunday till Wednesday. And my uh, my mother lived with us. Um, her her teta teta were Lebanese, so well her mother is Canadian. I'm Lebanese, so but teta it was. And um, my mother passed away in the home unexpectedly. She had no health issues, mm. uh, and luckily, very luckily, Elise was not. It was one of the days she was not here. I wanted the. It was the oh, day gosh. before she was get, she was going to be here. Uh-huh. And oh, that's good. That's yes, yes. Very. That's a whole another. That's a whole another yeah. thing to deal with. Like, cause she, her mother's from. We're, we're both from Ontario, um, Lebanese. But I came here when I was five. But aren't my entire mm-hmm. family's in Lebanon? I'm not really in touch with them. Um, and so we have no. She has no cousins here, aunts, uncles. It was really just me, her mom, and Tita. And all of a sudden, yeah. Tita is it's gone. A big part of her world, I'm sure. Yeah, a third yeah. of a third of her parental life is gone unit yeah 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 it must be it's i mean of course it's you know it's obviously a blessing that she wasn't there and it happened um but it's it's also got to be confusing to just one day someone's just not not there you know um especially at that that kind of age i know like personally i lost my father when i was 14 and uh obviously a lot older and able to sort of comprehend what was going on but it was a little bit easier for me because my my parents had actually separated six months prior so he wasn't living in the home with us okay so i was already used to him not being there so it was like that sort of like stepping stone to that but at the same time it's also interesting from that perspective because when you're not seeing someone all the time you almost forget 
would be like, oh, yeah, he's just somewhere else. And I'd be like, oh, no, he's not. I mean, he is, but <laughs> you yeah, know what I mean? He's not accessible um, anymore. He's not. I can't yes, exactly. Him. And that, that happened to me recently with an uncle, uh, uncle that I was very close with passed away, and but he was living in New York. So I would always forget and be like, oh, I should give him a call and be like, oh. Um, but uh, but anyway. Well, um, you should definitely, my, my heart goes out to you. I'm sorry to say that we have some things in common. So um, I have, as I said, I have two kids, um, Zach and Ben, six and eight. And um, prior to them even becoming a part of this world before they were born, um, unfortunately, most of my family has already died. Um, all of those have been, have been hard losses, but the biggest loss was my mother. Uh, my mom died 13 years ago. So, you know, if you do the math, my, my kids are six and eight. So she missed that by quite, quite a bit. Um, after she died, I started working with uh, what was at the time the nation's largest grief camp for children. And I got to work so beautifully and so deeply with thousands of children who had lost parents or siblings in ways that are sometimes very common, ways that are sometimes very unimaginable and just got real comfortable talking about death and grief to kids and found out that it's, um, it's just an amazing thing to be a part of. Yeah, what an amazing experience that must have been. Everybody obviously has different relationships with their, you know, their family members. Um, but for me also, I have a very special relationship with my mother who is still living. My father um, passed away when I was 14, but my mother's still around. And my my wife also has a very special relationship with her mother. And her mother um, was actually recently diagnosed with terminal cancer. So we're in, in the process of... Um, you know, in that sort of strange place of grieving while someone's still around. Um, so, so yeah, I think, I think it's even for, uh, you know, adults, obviously, um, losing a parent is very hard. Mm -hmm. <laughs> I don't think that's ever easy. It's so interesting that you said grieving while someone's still around because I had that experience with my mom very much. Uh, my mom mm. uh, was also diagnosed with and eventually died from cancer. And there are so many tiny losses along the way. There, you know, yeah. you lose this ability or you lose the, the chance to participate in that and lose knowing that this is happening in the future. And then eventually at the end of all of it, they also actually die. And it's just, <laughs> it's a lot. It's so much to, I know. to process. So yeah, I, I feel that deeply. Yeah, for sure. So um, I'm sort of shifting a little bit. I'm curious, we talk a lot about uh, on the podcast about, you know, just questions that kids ask that were not necessarily prepared for. And I'm wondering if there's ever a time where a kid asked you a question that you weren't prepared to answer. Um, it hasn't happened. It hasn't happened. It's something I prepared for because uh, I knew she was going to pass away one day and I'm in our house. We're not, uh, I wouldn't say we're religious. Uh, I'm definitely not mm -hmm. religious and I wasn't going to raise Elise in any kind of religious way. Mm -hmm. um, my goal is just to inform her on all religions. I mean, I'm, I would, I would definitely say I'm spiritual. Yeah, totally. And that's it. And then I would rather, and if she at some point decides one religion makes sense more than the others, no problem. Mm -hmm. But I didn't want to just give easy answers with open-ended, uh, you know, just open-ended, uh, or sorry, give her, yeah, open-ended answers to where she might be or where Tita is or, because she will ask at one point because she does know her, she does remember her. Mm -hmm. um, but it hasn't come up as of yet. Um, right now, the best I've told her when she, because she, she still brings up from time to time will, you know, when Teta comes back and like, no, Teta, Teta's not coming back. She's just yeah. gone. But at four years old, I can't, any, any further explanation I give her is not going to really make sense. I think. Yeah. It's just that like reinforcing of she's not coming back. Right. Yeah. If a child were to ask me now, to be honest, um, I would probably tell them, what would I tell them? 
you know, before you were born, you just, you came from nothing and you go back to nothing afterwards. You know, it's, yeah. what's important is just to make life mean something now. Yeah, I think that that's a really good, a really good point. And, and also thinking about, you know, all of the, we can sort of go off that and say, like, talk about all of the awesome things that she did while she was alive or what, you know what I mean? Exactly. Um, and how she made her life worthwhile while she was alive. Um, and then we can, you know, sort of shift from thinking about her being gone to all of the, you know, memories that we have and the, in the ways that she still lives in all of, you know, all the people who love her. Well, and I think that's part of what's so important about being clear when we're, especially when we're talking, I mean, when we're talking about anything, but I, I always say that, you know, being clear and honest about things is, is really important because, right. There's, there's a book um, by an author called uh, named Anastasia Higginbotham and it's called death is stupid. And (laughs) She has a she has a great great series of kids books called um, Ordinary Terrible Things. There's one about death. There's one about divorce. There's one about sex. That's really awesome. Um, and there's one about uh, race. And uh, but this this particular one, death is stupid. There's that's a lot of what the book is about. Is you know people are saying all those kind of fluffy things that we say when people die, like oh you know she's in a better place. And then the kids like, well, would I be in a better place if I died? And they're like, no, no, or like. <laughs> Or, you know, they're saying, oh, she's resting. And he's like, okay, when's she going to wake up? Like, you know, when we say these kinds of things, like kids are very literal. They're not, um, you know, understanding those those kinds of kind of fluffy things that, that we say. And we have to be very literal with them because otherwise, you know, they take what we say as the truth. So true. So true. Yeah, I think kids also, um, they like make, I mean, we, we do too as adults, but kids make things up in their heads. Um, you know, it's like yes. natural thinking. So um, I know there was a there was a kid at camp a long time ago, and his his mom had brought him to camp. His father had died, and she said, um, you know, just FYI, he's not going to eat any food that is hot while he's here, like temperature wise hot. He will not eat any food that is warm. He's just gonna eat like cold sandwiches and stuff. We don't know what's going on, but he just hasn't eaten hot food since his dad died. And we're like, okay, like we can we can work around that. And so, you know, we're going through camp and, you know, we're making sure he has sandwiches or whatever he's comfortable with. And we finally found out we were having conversations around the death and what happened. And he told us that his dad had eaten some hot chicken and then he had died. And the truth is that his father had eaten some chicken and had a heart attack and died. But what his Mm. son knew is that he ate something hot and then he died. And so he wouldn't eat hot food anymore because no one had ever really talked to him about what happened. And he just assumed the hot food made his dad die. So yeah, you do have to be so literal and and walk them through these things or else, you know, they fill in the blanks. Yeah. I mean, I think that happens a lot. This is in a different, in a different direction, but there was um, someone who I used to know in Brooklyn and their daughter was, I don't know, about four or five and they were walking one day and in Brooklyn, there's a lot of, uh, you know, in urban areas, there's sort of those cellar doors, Mm -hmm. um, that'll be like on the streets where people, maybe people working will go for different shops. Maybe it's like their storage or something. There's sort of a lot of these like cellar doors uh, in Brooklyn and someone, so the, so the daughter one day went, only men can go in those. And the father was like, what? She had just only ever seen men going inside of them. So she decided only men can go, like girls can't go in there. And he was like, you you know what I mean? But they, they see things and they make these connections, you know? Um, So, so I think that's why it's important, especially when we're talking about serious things like this, that to, to be very clear. Um, But uh, Alicia, did you, did you have anything for, um, 
for a question that caught you off guard or you weren't prepared for? So yeah, this one, um, I was thinking about this and we had a really interesting experience. My kids are, um, because they're my children, they talk about death and stuff like this pretty much as, as candidly and flatly as I do. Like we don't use the fluffy statements. Like we never say someone's sleeping or whatever. So um, my mom was cremated and we have a little jar in my living room. Um, it's this beautiful little glass jar with a cork in it and we call it my jar of mom and it's got, it's got her ashes <laughs> in it. We're, we're very cool like that. Um, and they say, you know, they always say like, oh, that's grandma, you know, grandma Sharon's in the jar. And so, um, my eight year old had it open one day, you know, I let them open and I let them put their fingers and it's, I mean, it's ashes, you know, I'm fine with it. So he opened it up and he's looking in there and he said, so what part of grandma Sharon is in here? This little babe, it's, you know, it's little bits and pieces of Oliver. They just, you know, they make her body very hot and it turns into ashes. So it's not that it's a particular part. And he's looking and he's kind of shaking it around. And I'm thinking, did I answer this right? And he's shaking it and looking in there and he goes, oh, I, I see. Like over there was, you know, her arms and over there was her legs. And over there was her pretty blonde hair. And that spot right there is how much she loved you. And that spot right there is how much she wished she could meet me and Ben. Oh. I know it was just, I mean, you know, and of course I'm sobbing. I'm like, yes, you're right. All of those parts are in there. And also none of this is actually grandma Sharon. So yeah. So like we spill it, it doesn't matter if we, you know, wipe it on our knee, it doesn't matter. But I love that he could understand that all of those things made up who grandma Sharon was. And, you know, here I am trying to come up with this great explanation and he figured it out on his own. So. Oh, I love that. Um, so we, we talked, uh, we talked a little bit uh, about this. You had both mentioned losing people, but I'm curious if you if you had lost anyone um, or if anyone died when you were young uh, and how the adults in your life talked to you about it or didn't. <laughs> so I actually lost um, I, I lost a few people when I was young. My Both of my grandfathers died when I was younger, I would say when I was still mm-hmm. a child. Um, my grandfather on my mom's side died when I was probably about 10, give or take. And he died in the city that we lived in. And my mom came home from where he was and told us that he died. So it was, you know, it was very, I don't want to say it was easy, but like my mother shared the news with me in my own home. Like how much better can you get? Like that's a very safe place. And we all cried and we told stories about him and it sucked, but we were together and it felt as normal as it can feel. And I remember just sobbing and sobbing and mom just told me and, you know, dad got us all tea. It was as good as that can be. And then, yeah within like a year or two, my dad's father passed away. Mm. Um, and he, he actually died in Florida, which from where we were, that was a, that was a plane ride away. So we hopped on a plane, we went down and my dad, my brother and I went, my mom had to stay home for work and my dad, my brother and I went and my dad's family was a pretty traditional and conservative, uh, Jewish family. So things were being dealt with in the way that Jewish families deal with funerals. And no one was talking about the fact that my Zadie just died, except in very perfunctory, like logistical senses, like, oh, like he'd had cancer for a while. So there's a lot of medicine in the house. And they're like, mm-hmm. okay, here's how we're going to deal with disposing of the medicine. And, you know, these are the clothes that we need to see if we can donate to someone. And this is the family member who needs it. It was all logistics, logistics, logistics. Yeah. And looking back, you know, you don't know what it is until later. Looking back, I realized that uh, what happened at their house is that I had my first panic attack my entire life. And I had it in their guest bedroom because I went in there and I couldn't breathe for the fact that I knew my grandfather had just died and no one was talking about it. And I felt yeah. like I wasn't allowed to talk about it and I, I could not breathe. So it's, it's so different if you allow kids to have their emotions versus if you pretend like everything's pretty okay, it, it kind of makes it so they can't breathe. 
Yeah, and I think it also invalidates their emotion. Like it can make it feel like their emotions are being invalidated. If, and I think that we, you know, kids mimic us and kids look to us for what to do. So if we're all not talking about it, then that's giving the message that it's not okay to talk about it. Yeah, and I think what, when it comes to emotions with kids, what I always say is like, there is no emotion that's wrong or bad. Like whatever emotion you're feeling is valid. It's how you you know, channel that energy that's right. Like you could be angry, but like, don't punch me, you know? <laughs> and so I think it's talking about coping mechanisms in different ways to, you know, and even just like, sit, like you were saying, just like sitting together in that feeling is like a way yeah. to deal with it. Or I had, I had a three-year-old or he was almost four at the time who used to just go, oh, I need alone time. And he would just go <laughs> to his room and, and he would just be upset. And then he would come out when he felt better, you know, and that had passed. And yeah, that's his a very high level of maturity. <laughs> yes. My, his mom had taught him that. I was like, this is great. <laughs> um, <laughs> uh, but it was just funny to see a three-year-old like I'm going to my room <laughs> like okay <laughs> um, I wish I wish I could get alone time like <laughs> so the closest experience I had <clears throat> because we uh, when we left Lebanon I was I believe I was four years old and we came over and so for the most part I haven't been in contact with any of the extended family so I haven't lost anyone, but the closest experience I have, which really stuck with me actually over the years, even to now, it's something that's one of those few vivid memories you have from childhood. Um, I mean, I have a couple. I, we, were, we were in Lebanon during the Civil War, so I have a few vivid experiences from there. But one of the first one of being in Canada was uh, we were when we first came here, we were in, we were in Gatineau. And... I remember my mom being in the bedroom crying for three days and it was because her father died like just months, months after we came over months. And it was, it was, it was just shocking. My, the whole thing was very surreal. My dad wasn't really in the room at all. He let her just do, just be alone, whether she wanted that or not. I don't remember, but my mom for the most part has always been an extremely happy, positive Mm. force um very supportive very like just very much a light and i it's it was odd to ever see her sad and to just see her cry or to hear her cry just be in her bedroom hearing her cry she was sobbing and there were times i would go into the room i'd ask my dad is it okay sometimes he'd tell me no and there would be other times i'd go in and i was allowed in there as far as she was concerned and just to be with her while she was crying she told me it's okay i'm just sad that was my only real experience as a kid with any kind of yeah. extreme grief. It was through my mother who just because it was mm-hmm. such a contrast from her regular personality, she wasn't a crier. She wasn't, you know, a sad person. She was always so positive, but she loved her father so much. Yeah. Well, I think it's so nice in a way that she allowed herself to be vulnerable in front of you, you mm-hmm. know, um, at times and like show you that like yeah I'm sad and like it's okay it's okay to be sad and have those strong emotions because I think a lot of times uh, at least like for my parents and I think you know a lot of people in in my generation um, just like there was a lot of sort of like hiding emotions and wanting to come off as strong and strong meaning not showing you know equals not showing emotions True. Um and and sort of because I think it came from this idea of like wanting to protect kids exactly you know? and from the uh, bad things of the world 
Yeah. And, but I think that there's something really powerful and strong about being vulnerable and saying like, it's okay because we want kids to be processing their feelings, but then we're not, you know, if we are not showing them how to do that by processing our own feelings and showing them, showing our own emotions, then how are they going to gain those skills, you know? And it's, it's not just that, I was having this conversation last night, actually, where, um, you know, there's people who are emotional, will let themselves seem you know what we consider weak because they cry at the end of the day it's those those people who do that that are probably the most secure and confident in themselves that they're okay doing that and mm, it not mattering yeah. that other people see that that's the thing kids need to know that it's not a weak point it's you know the no. people who do that are so secure with themselves that it doesn't matter what I also think is really interesting as someone who is trans, I, so I was assigned female at birth. Uh, and when I started, before I started testosterone, I was very, I was my way that I coped and reacted to stressful, stressful situations was crying. Like that was just my reaction. And after I started testosterone, it actually changed it changes your brain hormones you know change the way that your brain processes things and so now i'm not a crier at all i'm very like logical when things happen i'm like how can we fix it and i just thought that that was very interesting in terms of i think that a lot of times my wife is someone who cries a lot um, as a reaction to things and she gets a lot of sort of slack from it you know about it from her family and from other people you know in this idea of like oh that's a weakness crying yeah. and i'm like literally I did not, it's not that I'm stronger now. It's that my brain chemistry is slightly different. Like, I don't think that we have a lot of control over the way that our, we initially process things, you no. know, like we all process things differently. And I don't think that processing things one way means you're weak and another way means you're strong. Uh, Cause for me, like it had nothing to do with anything other than the hormones in my body. <laughs> if you don't let kids see the whole spectrum. And I mean, Elise did see me, uh, Elise saw me in different states she didn't I, I she never really saw me cry to be honest i didn't really cry i still haven't cried over my mother's death i've shed maybe a few tears but there were there were other things that happened just before and just after her passing that kind of in, over encompassed her that this like her passing away and yeah. that made it hard to deal with her passing so it's still something i'm waiting on dealing with it's been coming up in the last few weeks but she saw me sad and she saw me happy and she saw me in different states and it's you know it's it, it was i, I want to use the word cute that if i was in a certain mood she would be in that mood as well you know she <laughs> saw me a little sad she would hug me um, because she knows me as being very positive all the time she knows yeah. nothing is off and sometimes and she wouldn't ask me questions but I, you know she was three and a half and I know she's, there's questions she wants to ask that she can't quite articulate. And I would just, you know, when she hugs me, I would tell her, like, I'm okay. I'm just, you know, not feeling so well right now, but thank you for the hug, you know. Just let her see the emotions as they come up. It's okay that kids yeah. you happy one moment and then maybe sad another moment. You don't have to put on a facade. You know, and it happened the other night where we were reading a book and it was, um, I Love You Always. Mm-hmm. And uh, it very much reminded me of my mom passing away and I did shed a tear. And she saw me and she hugged me and I said, you know, it's okay. I just missed Teta. She goes, I missed Teta too. Okay. Aww. You know, and that's it. It's, it's okay to see that shift that they need, the kids need to see every, as much of life as possible. And that just doesn't mean yeah. experiences in school and learning. It means emotions as well. Absolutely. 
Um, and I, I also had sort of a similar situation to you, Alicia, when, when my father passed away, um, I was 14 and I was actually away at summer camp when he passed away. And my mom made the decision not to tell me until the end of the week because I was in a play and it was my first big part. And she was like, her dad, you know, their dad's going to be dead either way. Might as well, like, let them have this before, you know, before they have to find out. So I, um, so after the play, like they took me and they had like told the camp counselors ahead of time, because it was like a sleepaway camp. And, uh, you know, after the play, they had like, they took me aside somewhere and they told me, and I just remember, um, feeling really, cause, uh, I'm, I'm Christian and it was a, like a Christian camp. And I just felt like really glad that it happened that I found out after I had been like, through a week of being like feeling very supported and being with like people and feeling very like, you know, at, you know, close to God and all of these things where for me, that was like a very good cushion to be, to have that happen. And so I feel, even though like I wasn't in my home in a comfortable place, I was in a place where I felt like very supported. And um, I think that really made a difference for me. Yeah. Um, so and, so and I think that, you know, we need to think about, obviously we don't always have control over, right? Like, when and how people are dying, but we have sometimes have some control over how we're conveying that to kids and when mm-hmm. we're conveying it to kids. Um, and I can't even imagine like my mom making the decision of whether to tell me or not. Um, must have been really hard for her. Yeah, it's funny as kids, we don't recognize the amazing complexities of the choices the adults are making around us at all. Seriously. <laughs> Constantly. <laughs> So we covered this a little bit already um, in an earlier question, but um, have you ever been in a situation where a kid asked you about death and what did you say or do in that situation? I I guess for me, I've been in so many situations where kids (laughs) have asked me about death. Um, I think that, I think for me, the big thing is like any conversation, you need to tailor the conversation to who you're talking to. You know, you're not going to talk to a six-year-old the same way you talk to a 15-year-old and you know, if it's a close death, it's going to be different than a death who's, you know, someone they saw in the news who they didn't know. And I think for me, what I'm always thinking in any interaction with, with my kids or with other kids is that kids really just want to know that they are that they are safe and that they are heard and that they are loved. So they want to know, you know, whether it is their mom or their grandma or some, you know, star that they saw in a movie who they then saw on TV died. Whoever that person is, they want to know am I still safe? Is my family still safe? Is everything okay here? And I know, you know, my kids, since they're well aware that my mom died, they've asked, well, what happens if you die? You know, it's, it's a natural mm-hmm. question. And I think that a lot of people have this knee-jerk reaction of saying, well, I'm not going to die. Mm-hmm. Which, here's the thing, talk to your kids how you want to talk to your kids. Like, you need to decide what's best for your family. For me, that feels really disingenuous because I can't make that promise. So what I say instead is the truth. And the truth is I am probably not going to die for a very long time. I'm probably not. And their dad, um, their dad and I are divorced. We we co-parent really beautifully, but we live in different homes. And I say, your dad is also probably not going to die for a very long time. You're probably both going to be adults. You're probably both going to, you know, have jobs or families if you want them or whatever. That's probably what is going to happen. But if something happens to me, you will live with daddy. If something happens to daddy, you will live with me. If something crazily happens to both of us, you'll go live with your aunt and uncle. If something happens to both of them, you'll live with your other aunt. And I give them this like 
huge <laughs> line of loving humans who are ready to hold them and accept them and love them because what they want to know is, am I safe? Do I have a home? Do I have people who will love me? That's a lot of times what they're really asking when they're asking about death. Is this everything still okay in my tiny world? And so I just really try in as truthful and digestible way as I can to let them know that like, yes, you will always, always be safe and loved and heard always. Yeah. And I, I like that truthful and digestible because I think, um, it's also important, like you were saying before, right. To cater to the right ages of children, you know, and, and also like what information the children are actually asking for. Um, because sometimes, and I talk, we talk about this a lot, but it's this, uh, this idea of, you know, not giving too much information and not, um, giving too little, like just, just exactly like what is the finding out what the question really is. And sometimes that involves asking a question back, you know, like, what do you really want? What do you want to know about that kind of thing? Mm -hmm. And, um, and I, and just really understanding what they want to know and giving that answer in a very, um, concise kind of way. And I think that that example you gave kind of does that really well. When I think that, um, like a a concrete example of something that just happened very recently, um, we had, uh, my, my ex-husband and I had a a mutual friend who's, uh, very young. I mean, I think maybe he was in his early Mm forties and very healthy guy. All, you know, all the stars should have been lining up. And he fell and he hit his head and he had a traumatic brain injury and he died within days. And it's just one of those things that it sucks so badly. It's so bad and so unbelievable. And you know, I was sobbing at the house and I knew that my ex-husband was upset there too. And the kids asked what happened. And I said, well, uh, you know, and we, we, there was a space of time that we knew he was going to die, but he had not died yet. And I said, well, mm-hmm. Um, mommy and daddy have a friend, a good friend of ours. And here, here's a picture of him. His name is JR. This is what he looks like. A uh, really nice guy. He fell and hit his head and his brain is not working anymore. And unfortunately it's not going to start working again and he's going to die. And they had a few questions around it. And again, in digestible and easy terms, I said, well, you know, the brain is a machine. Sometimes the machine can be fixed. Sometimes it can't. Most of the time it can. In this very specific instance, they can't fix it. The good news is He's an organ donor, so other people's lives are also going to be saved from this. Mm. And the good news is he has family around him, loving him and holding his hand right now. And yes, it's very sad. And yes, it's very awful. But if you have questions, I'm here, you know, and and just kind of making it this open. I mean, it's a a terrible, awful thing that should never happen in comma. It happens. So I just think instead of saying, yeah, like he went to sleep and didn't wake up, how creepy and terrifying would that be to the kids right um you know to think like you could go to sleep and not wake up so no i mean i just told them the the edited version of the truth and they were amazingly able to receive it and understand it you know i think kids can understand a a lot and i think that there's still you know there's still those gears turning and they'll ask you follow-up questions like i had a kid who um i explained to them that i was trans he had asked a question and i explained that i was trans and and every so often he'd be like because he he specifically asked if i had a penis because he has a penis and he's really into his penis because he's three (laughs) and you know um and so he asked if i had a penis and i said no and uh and so every so often he'd be like okay but and i explained that boys can have penises or boys can have vulvas and girls can have penises and girl you know etc and um and so every so often he'd be like, okay, you're a boy, but you don't have a penis. And I'd be like, yeah. And he'd be like, okay. But like, he just like check in about it sometimes. And um, I think that's just, you know, their way of, of processing that information. But I think that they can really understand, you know, a lot more than we give them credit for. And I just, I remember um, 
uh, my when my father passed away, we we had these next door neighbors, and they had some young girls who were uh, I would say they were younger than six at the time, probably like three and four, and we we went over to to have dinner with them one night after my dad had died, and they asked where he was, and like we didn't want to overstep and be like we're going to give you a whole explanation of what death is. Like they're not our kids, you know, and the parents kind of didn't say anything. So we were like, uh, he's on vacation or just like made up some baloney excuse. And the next time I was babysitting them, uh, they, one of them, like the three-year-old sat me down and she was like, listen, I know that your dad is not on vacation. I know that he died and I'm very Aww. sorry. And he, and, and said, I think he, she said something about how like he was in heaven or I don't know, said some, something about if he was in a better place or something. And I was just like, oh, thank you, three-year-old. You're like, I didn't think you uh, were prepared for this conversation, but you showed me. Um, I feel like kids blow me away on a constant basis. Like they're yeah. so much smarter than we are because we got older and learned how to be stupid. And they're just <laughs> still these like wise little creatures. And it just, it, it blows me away constantly. Like, like you were saying, it's like so easy for that kid to be like, oh, cool. Your boy was going to be in a snow big deal. Like whatever. Yeah. What are we having for lunch? Like right? no big deal. He literally was like, let's go play with trains now. I was like, okay. <laughs> Accurate. So we, we were talking a little bit about, um, you know, change, changing maybe what we say exactly depending on the age of, of kids and what they can understand. And I'm curious when you think kids can really understand the concept of death, like concretely. I mean, I think just like listening to Bish, you can, you can get the idea that even a very young child can understand it. I mean, obviously I'll, I'll let Bish talk about what that's been like um, in, in their household, but I know something that I I read this so long ago and I remember it just so it like smacked me in the face with the truth. It was that children of a very, very, very young age, I mean kids who are pre-verbal can understand, like if they're having a snack, right? Like they're having Cheerios or whatever, and you're out of Cheerios, you go, you shake your hands, you go, all gone, all mm-hmm. gone. And kids can understand all gone about people too. So you can just say, you know, Grandma Sharon, all gone, all gone. And then you can add whatever you need to, but kids at a very young age understand what gone means. Mm. So even, even in that, even at that like very base level, they understand all gone means no more. Yeah, I do. I also, um, I'm like semi fluent in sign language. I would say I'm like conversationally fluent. Uh, and I use sign language a lot with the kids that I nanny and, um, that's definitely, you know, they can, they can understand so so much before they can actually verbalize what they you know all the things they have inside of them that they want to tell us <laughs> so she definitely does not understand um yeah. she she'll bring up from time to time teta died just out of random random just random mm-hmm. moments we're putting on shoes and she'll look at me and she goes teta died i'm like yes she did she doesn't understand that concept because she she's still at other times oh when teta comes back i'm like no teta's not coming back like when she dies yeah. she dies um, that being said, when I was, when my grandfather passed, uh, I was almost five or I was five at that point. Mm-hmm. And at that point I did understand. I yeah. very specifically remember th- those moments and having a conversation with my dad and knowing this. So from my perspective, about five years old, I would say, I mean, but um, for me, but every kid is different, right? Some kids evolve more physically in the beginning, some intellectually, some emotionally. Yeah. Um, but at least as early as five from my perspective. But I was yeah. that 
and it was, uh, and I grasped it also without being there and seeing a body or a funeral at the same time. Hmm. But maybe I just grasped, maybe, maybe, maybe the reason I grasped it was just because of how broken my mother was after it. Maybe that's what yeah. made it real for me. This is this is sort of uh, a little bit of a leading question, but <laughs> as they would say in court. But um, I, do you think that there are any benefits from shielding kids from the truth about death? No, definitely not. Um, I'm very I'm very much adamant on everything being as honest as possible with elites yeah, and with kids in general. Um, even the whole Santa Claus thing is still something I debate if I should let her believe in Santa yeah. Claus or not. Because I remember when I found out Santa Claus wasn't real. I was a bit. I was six or seven years old, and it was a neighbor kid that told me. I think, and I was just, I was heartbroken. I was yeah. so heartbroken. I cried so hard. Um, I really believed in this thing. I just like, why did everyone lie to me? I remember thinking this. Why did everyone oh. lie to me? Like it was such a harsh thing. And how is a kid supposed to build any kind of real life coping mechanisms if you just hide yeah, these things or from trust? Them? Yeah, well, I remember I, I remember thinking too when I was younger and I found out that Santa Claus wasn't real and I was raised Christian and I was like, well, and when I'm a certain age, are you going to tell me Jesus isn't real? Yeah. Like who else isn't real? Like it was a weird, you know, it was definitely a weird like, okay, you're lying about this thing, but like then I'm – how do I know what else is true? Because I would ask, is this – is he not real? And you would tell me, no, no, he's real. So like – what other things aren't real, you know? Yeah, exactly. I Why start the lie now? And more than that, one. one thing adults are fantastic at doing is projecting. Adults yeah. are fantastic <laughs> at projecting <laughs> instead of just letting things happen as, you know, someone else wants them to happen or needs them to happen. And with children, everything is, there's nothing that's normal to them. Like what's yeah. normal to us right now, you and I, is not what's normal to someone living in India in and part mm-hmm. where there's no electricity. Everything's contextual, yeah. Everything's contextual. So if you don't let them deal with it, like anything they deal with now is going to build their coping mechanisms and structure of the world and be able to help them deal with the world in such a better way when they're older. And so it won't affect them as harshly when they're older. If they under- if Elise understands now what death is, when it happens later in life with someone else, she'll have gone through it. And even though she's not consciously, but subconsciously built up some type of skills to, and ways to deal with this. Yeah. You know, rather um, than way later in life, you know, it's just saving them some pain now is going to cause them much, much more pain later. Yeah, that's so true. That's so true. Yeah. I think, um, you know, as, as I said before, I very much believe in like clear, plain language mm-hmm. in general around children, but especially around death because it's such a such a sensitive topic. I think that you can kind of kind of meter out the information as it is age appropriate. Like for example, uh, you know, th- thankfully this is this is not how my mother died, but uh, for example, if my mother had died by suicide. I think that what I would have done, and you know, at this age, when my children are very young, I think at this age, I would say, you know, Grandma Sharon died. And if they asked a question, I would say, you know, Grandma Sharon died because her she was very sad. Uh, you know, she was very sick. Give, give them some information they can understand. And then as they grew older, give them information. You have to keep checking back in with kids. I mean, think about anything that you teach a child. You have to keep checking back in with them. Like, yeah, you teach them how to tie their shoes. Like check in with them three weeks later. Are they still tying their shoes in a remotely appropriate way or did they forget and they're just tying like a clump of knots? Like you got to keep checking back in with them and make sure the stuff is still making sense. 
So with death, it's the same thing, you know, like right now, my kids know that grandma Sharon died and they know that she died of cancer and they have a general idea of what cancer is. They don't know yet that my mom died of cancer because her doctor missed her lump. There was a huge medical malpractice lawsuit. It was like Mm. when they're 20, they're going to know about that. Like they will understand that my mom died because someone was not doing their job efficiently that day. And because we should have been more aggressive with our doctors, you know, they don't know that yet. But I didn't shield them from the truth about how she died. I think that there's a difference between saving information for when it's age appropriate and just like sugarcoating, like, oh, like, you know, so-and-so just flew off to heaven. That's just not helpful. (laughs) Yeah, totally. And sort of going off of that, do you think that, you know, the language that we were talking about before, like, oh, they're in a better place or they're just sleeping or they're resting is helpful, harmful, ever appropriate? I think along the same line as the last question, it's very harmful. Um, yeah. it's, it's just another way of lying, uh, might not be a totally. religious type of lie. It might be, it's just more, it's, you're just trying to make your life easier right now. Um, mm-hmm. that's it. That's it's the only way you don't want to go. You don't want to, cause as soon as you, kids are great at asking why, and then you have to go further and further, <laughs> and further down this bubble of why this happens and they're not going to understand it. Um, and <laughs> I mean, I don't know about you, but if someone told me, uh, you know, they just, they're asleep and they're not waking up. That's terrifying. Right? right? That's just terrifying. I don't want that. I'd rather, you know, know they're dead. Why did they die? It just happens. You yeah. know, will it happen to you? Probably not because people who die, most of the people who die are either very old or very sick. Um, mm-hmm. And you are not very old and you are not very sick. So it's not something you have to worry about. Uh, You know, that's how like new people are born, like you were born, and then other people die. It's just the cycle of life. It's just something you have to accept. It is what it is. You know, yes, you can worry about it. I mean, this is not something I would tell Elise. She's too too little. But that's the best way to explain it, just to be honest. I mean, are you sick? No. Are you old? No. Then you don't have to worry about it. But, you know, Tata died because she was old. She yeah. lived, you know, she lived, I mean, how old are you? Oh, well, she lived 20 times as long as that. Um, <laughs> you know, people just, that's how it works. God, that's so true. I, I couldn't agree with that more. I think it is so incredibly harmful. It's not just not helpful. It is incredibly harmful yeah. to paint these crazy pictures around it. Cause yeah, like why, like, oh, she's in a better place. Why wasn't here good? Like, oh, she's resting. Why can't she wake up? It just sets them up for this, this really skewed idea of what death is. And I mean, with my kids, yeah, you know, sure. they know... They know that Grandma Sharon is somewhere where she is not in pain anymore. And if they ask about, well, when can we see her again, you know, or how can we get to that place? I say, the coolest thing about being here on earth is that we probably just get this one shot. I'm not sure, but we probably just get this one shot. And I think the coolest thing is that if we get to see Grandma Sharon again one day, how cool would it be if we had 90 years worth of cool stories to tell her? So we want to stay here as long as we can and do all the fun stuff and we can tell her all the stories later but like there is not mm. better than here it's just another room like honesty is is just so important with kids well i'm trying i always i'm, I'm doing a thing with her right now because there's going to be a certain point problem i hope i don't we'll see when where she's going to actually ask you know what is death and i'm trying to keep tita's memory alive as long as possible there's pictures on the fridge um yeah, for example, she took out her, her little mini Crocs the other day to go out on the balcony because it's nice weather again. And I'm like, you remember Teta got those for you? She's like, oh, yeah, that's right. Mm. And we pulled out uh, shoes that uh, me and uh, my mother had picked out for Elise. And like, yeah, 
me, me and Tita bought you these shoes. She's like, oh, okay, yeah, Tita got me these shoes. And I'm trying to keep it alive, and then she'll remember. And then yeah. I'm hoping at a certain point she'll start to ask deeper questions about the death. I'm, you know, I'm, I'm yeah. trying to keep this memory alive and this whole death thing alive because I do want her to cope with it at a certain point. Yeah, um, absolutely. So we'll see. And especially soon, there's someone in the area in NDG um, who does these crochet dolls. If you have a picture of someone, they'll crochet a doll Aww. in their liking. And I took a snip. I took a cutting of my mother's hair before they uh, before they buried her, and I'm going to have them put that in the doll as well in her likeness. Oh my gosh, that's so sweet! Yeah, and give it to her. And so I'm trying to keep this alive as long as possible because I do want her to cope with it. I do want her to build these little skills for the future. Yeah, and also just like to not forget her. I mean, I know she's yes. older, but still, it's you know relatively young. And I think uh, right now we're um, my mother-in-law has terminal cancer, and we're um, my wife is thinking about that a lot with my, I have three nieces and two nephews and um, we're thinking, you know, she's just like, well, I, her, my wife is like, well, I was so young when my grandparents passed away. And like, I feel like I don't remember them. So we want to do everything too. You know, I mean, obviously still build memories while, while she's here, but afterwards, you know, that was a discussion that we had about how can we help keep that memory alive, you know, after, after she's gone. And I think that, you know, it's, that's what happens. Sometimes we don't want to talk about the person because it, you know, it's sad, right? But I think it is important to to help keep that, keep them alive in that in that way, and show that we, you know, we're the things that we do go further than even just our life, right? Like she's not here, but she, you know, that thoughtfulness of buying you those shoes is still here, or the, you know, those bits of our personality. Well, that's one thing I, there's another book that I really love called The Memory Box. I don't know the author offhand, but um, I, one of the things, basically the whole point of the book is it's, you know, a little girl who has lost someone who they, they don't name someone in her life. And she sort of makes, takes a physical box and uh, you know, puts all of these, you know, whether it's pictures or recipes or whatever, anything that makes her think about this person or even, you know, places they went together, places they were planning on going together, you know, so a picture of the Eiffel Tower or whatever. Um, and, uh, and you know, when they're missing, this person just opens the box and, and looks at the things. And I really, I, I really love that. That's actually something that I have personally done with stuff of my father's. Um, and every year, like on his birthday or the day that he passed away, I just sort of sit and look through it. and. Um, and so I really, I love that, that idea of, you know, sort of thinking about all of the, all the, creating a physical representation too, of like all the memories, but that's what that thinking about the food made me, made me think about, about that. Of course. Um, I that's mean, like nice I'm Italian, idea. so I love some food. Um, so, uh, you know, I, I don't know if, if y'all are familiar, um, this this is, I mean, probably I would assume, but um, with the with the stages of grief, um, we talk about right, like for for adults, we talk about denial, anger, bargaining, depression, acceptance, all that fun stuff. Um, and I'm curious if you think if you think children go through the stages of grief, uh, like you know, in the way that adults do, or if they, you know, I'm I'm curious what your experiences are with that. In the beginning, it was a little hard for me because I was also going through my own moments. But she, the home was different for her. She didn't want to be here as much. Uh, she all of a sudden was scared in the house. She thought there was a ghost or mm. uh, she, she was crying a bit more. She was waking up much more often at night. Um, there, were, there were these moments, but 
outside of that, not really too much. She didn't throw tantrums. She wasn't angry. Um, she just, it was maybe more subconscious. It didn't come out during waking times as much or didn't come out in emotional outbursts, more in just these imaginative ways, like the ghost or I'm assuming bad dreams of maybe yeah. Tita not being there or Tita leaving, you know, in her mind. Um, that was more than anything what happened. Um, and she just didn't want to come here as much. You know, she didn't want to come here yeah. to your mother's. Like it was something is wrong with the home. And it was probably a combination yeah. of me being sad as well, not being my general positive self, as well as Teta not being here, who was a very positive personality as well. Yeah, totally. That makes a lot of sense. Mm-hmm. I, you talking about the ghost just made me think about when I was, uh, when my father passed away, he was like a practical joker kind of person. Like one time my friend and I were having a sleepover and we had like a, in our den, there was a glass door that led to a patio and he like snuck around from the from the outside and like put a mask on and like banged on the door and scared us and like would do things like that (laughs) and um after he passed away i was so afraid to look and i was 14 i was like old enough to know that like ghosts are not a thing but i was so afraid to look at mirrors because i was like if he if ghosts are real and he could appear as a ghost, he would absolutely scare the crap out of me. Like, I'd look in a mirror, and he'd be like, boo, you know? And so I didn't look in mirrors for so long. That's amazing. That's so specific to your father and your relationship. It's so funny in the way that your brain processes these things, though. Like, even as, like, someone who was older, I was like, oh, no, he would totally do this. <laughs> Um, and I'm, I'm curious with your experiences with that too, Alicia. Yeah, I think um, we, we've talked about the stages of grief a lot when I when I used to work at camp and um, my job now, I'm, I'm very tied to the, the death and funeral industry as well. So we talk about grief as well. Um, I think that all of the stages that you mentioned, I think that people kind of think that it's this linear thing, like you're going to go from shock to anger to depression to <laughs> bargaining to acceptance, and then you'll return to a meaningful life and everything's right. <laughs> and that's like, it's just such a crock and it messes us up so much when we think that anything in life is going to be linear. And I think that, um, you know, something that we talk about when I worked at the grief camp a lot is the, the roller coaster of emotions that kids experience and adults do too. We just get better at masking it. Yeah. But, you know, kids will be like playing and skipping and running and, you know, dad died yesterday, but I'm swinging and it's wonderful. And then you fall off the swing and immediately they're like, oh my gosh, I hurt my knee. Daddy, daddy, I need daddy. Daddy yeah. died yesterday. And then you just remember all over again and it just hits you like a ton of bricks and, you know, I mean, same thing for adults, but we just get much better at masking when our knee is skinned and we need our mom. And I think that just being being a safe space for the kids so that as they're going through that roller coaster emotions and not making them feel guilty or bad for any of them, like it is totally cool and acceptable and reasonable to be laughing at a funeral. There's actually a lot of funeral homes now that are building um, children's playgrounds out back because there's oh, kids I love at the funerals. That. And yeah, like kids want to play and sometimes they want to cry and Sometimes they want to do it at the same time. Like, that's fine. <laughs> I think that, you know, like to, yeah, just like to open that space for them. Like, it's okay to be having, you know, the beach for you. It's okay for your daughter to be sitting on your lap and having a very, very, very serious conversation about your mom and how you miss her. And then all of a sudden for her to be like, hey, can we go play now? Like, it doesn't mean she doesn't miss your mom. It just means she's 
she's a kid. Like, let her play. Like, you can talk about mom again later. It's, it's cool. Absolutely. Yes. And yeah, I, exactly. I I still remember at my dad's funeral, obviously, I was a little older. I was uh, 14. But, like, all my friends came. And it was, like, kind of a fun time. Like, we all just yeah. hung out. And we talked about, you know, either they distracted me with, like, other – by talking about other things. Or we talked about, like, fun, you know, memories. or But, like – and I still have, like, a selfie of, like, all of us from that – from my dad's funeral. <laughs> it was, like oh, – wow. Which sounds, you know, kind of silly. But it's, like, it was, like, kind of a good time. Uh, I didn't – want to just sit there and be sad about it. All right, let's take a break for some announcements. First of all, thank you so much for listening. Uh, Like I enjoy saying, this would just be me talking into the void if you weren't here. So I appreciate you. Thank you for being here. So really the only thing out of the ordinary is, again, uh, as some of you may know from previous episodes, unfortunately my laptop has died uh, and I am in desperate need of another one. Uh, As of right now, I'm only able to record and edit on weekends um, because I won't be able to do so from my home computer because I don't have a laptop anymore which is why this episode is late, sorry. Um, But so I would really appreciate if you are able to share or donate. I'm doing a fundraiser, um, an online fundraiser to try and help me get a new computer. Um, We've already got about $500, which is amazing. Thank you so, so much to everybody who's donated and shared. I really appreciate it. Um, And if you are able to even share, I would really, really appreciate that. find that fundraiser on our website www.radchildpodcast.com or on our Facebook as well. Uh, basically all of our social media but those are the easiest places to access it. So thank you so much for that. After that it's just the regular stuff. So you can follow us at Radchild Podcast on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Feel free to reach out to us. Uh, you can email us at radchildpodcast at gmail.com or you can go to www.radchildpodcast.com. Um, and go to the contact us section. Also in that section, you will find uh, information about how to be a guest. If you're interested in being a guest, we are always looking for new guests for a number of topics. And if you have a topic uh, that you're interested in doing, even if it's not one that I've thought of, please feel free to reach out and let me know about that topic. There's a space for you to um, enter that. And please feel free to always uh, reach out to us on social media and things if you have ideas for future topics uh, or just want to chat. If you would like to help us out by contributing a monthly donation, you can do so by going to patreon.com forward slash radchildpodcast. You can join the ranks of Emma, Kai, and Alex, uh, and you can earn some cool rewards like bloopers, Discord access, uh, care packages, kids' books, and lots more. And last but not least, if you would like some more rad merch, you can get that at our Etsy store. It's etsy.com slash CA for Canada forward slash shop forward slash radchildpodcast. Podcast, or what I think is easier is just going on Etsy and typing Radchild Podcast. Um, you can find all sorts of cool things there. We've got buttons, we've got postcards, we've got stickers, um, all sorts of neat things uh, with fun little sayings and catchphrases and stuff. Um, so yeah, definitely check those out. Well, I guess that's all for me. Thanks again for listening. And without further ado, I'm going to hand it over to Crystal and Rebecca. Do you wish more picture books truly reflected your family's values? Have you ever thought you found the perfect book, but when you got it home, it completely missed the mark? 
Shift Book Box is a picture book subscription service for kids ages 3 to 8, built around themes of social justice and centering diverse characters and creators. Each box features two beautiful picture books as well as expertly crafted discussion guides. We know that families want to engage kids in conversations about social justice topics, and we recognize how challenging it can be to find the right books and to feel supported in having these conversations. We find the books. We provide the prompts. You get both delivered to your door. Subscribe today at shiftbookbox.com and use the code RADCHILD. RADCHILD. All one word. RADCHILD. RADCHILD. For 10% off your first order. Shift Bookbox. Curating little libraries. Cultivating big change. So... We, you talked about this a little bit already, but um, how can we help our kids sort of manage their grief when we're, you know, maybe also grieving? So this is one I, I did have to deal with directly. Um, it was it was not easy at all. It was not easy. Um, for the first month, I usually I, I have her half the time, and I had her less than half the time. I for the first mm-hmm. month, I, I I had some coping to do. Um, but I still wanted her around. Like Elise has always been my my rock, my anchor. I'm always super present with her. I'm very much a kid, you know. We walk down the street, we look at ants and play with ants together. <laughs> I, I need her around. Like she she fulfills that for me. Um, and it was honestly the best way I did it was to just I would remind her, Hey, Elise, I'm not feeling so well. Can we instead of running around? Do you mind if we just read a book? I don't have as much energy. And like, yes, okay, no problem. You know, like mm. I, I really. I always treat her like an adult, in, in, you know, yeah. as much as I possibly can. She's a little kid. She's not going to reply as an adult. But, <laughs> um, you know, I always involve her in everything. Can we do, do this? Do you mind if we do this? I'm feeling like this. Uh, and that's that's how I dealt with it. And, you know, it didn't work all the time, but it did work most of the time. As long yeah. as I was really honest, just, you know, is, is it okay if we just, you know, read the books? Is, is you know, hey, Elise, I, I, I need a minute to clean up. It's taking me a bit longer. Do you mind just sitting in the tub for an extra 10 minutes and playing if I put on a few toys? Yeah, thank you. Um, and then the other big thing I did was, so um, <clears throat> a few months after I had someone move in, uh, I wasn't looking for someone yet, but uh, I wanted someone to come move in. Uh, it's a three-bedroom place, and I got it originally for the three of us. Uh, because, you know, a room for me, a room for Elise, a room for Teta. And, but Elise still co-sleeps with me and her mother, probably not mm-hmm. for much longer. But so it was two rooms free. And I hosted this uh, putluck the same time you how you hosted uh, the club oh, yeah, yeah. there, uh, the community putluck. And someone had come, and it was the first person here, and we got along super well. And they were looking for uh, – they had already they came from Australia to learn French, and they had found a place already. But they said, "Oh, if I, you know, maybe if I saw this place first, I'm like, yeah, I hadn't really posted. I'm going to post soon. I'm still cleaning up, you know, decluttering after my mom's passing." Uh, anyway, after after that night, they messaged me and said, "Hey, listen, uh, you know, the, uh, the place I'm moving into, it's falling. It, it's three days before I'm supposed to move in, and it, it fell through, and I'm, I have nowhere to go. Can I come?" Oh, no. I was like, "Of course." <laughs> and what made it great was that uh, the only reason I said, "Of course," was because they uh, we talked. We talked a lot in a social setting, and in Australia, before they came, they had lived with the mother and the four-year-old, and so I got to mm. put me in touch with the mother, and I spoke with the mother, and you know, nothing but good things. And so it was perfect. And what I did was, and she was moving into, or they were moving into uh, my um, my mom's old room, and I again just mm-hmm. honesty with Elise, like, Elise, 
you know, is it okay if someone moves in to, uh, and uses Teta's room? Is that okay with you? You know, I just, I involved her in everything that had to do with Teta or my emotions or, or anything. And that's, that, that's how I dealt with it. And honestly, it went very, very well. Yeah, it's so good. I love it. Um, yeah, I think that uh, just to kind of echo off that, I think just showing, showing them that it is okay to, you know, like you can watch movies or you can craft, but also no, we're not at full speed right now. You know, we're not going to do super intensive crafts all day, every day and be really happy because we're not happy right now. Something that I talk to my kids a lot about, like uh, they probably think I'm so boring and so lame, but I talk to them a lot about how like all of our emotions are okay. All of them. There's no bad emotion. There's no not okay emotion. They're all okay. How we manage them. Like that's, that's the situation. You know, we still have to learn how to manage and, and kind of navigate our emotions, but if we don't show them, we can't learn how to navigate them. Like we can't possibly find a way through if we're busy hiding. Like last night, um, you know, a bit of an issue, you know, again, my two boys are only two years apart. So there's a lot of uh, fighting for dominance and, you know, th things like that. And there was a little issue in the house last night and it took up some time. And unfortunately, because that took up some time and we had school today, we lost some time that I wanted to uh, read a special book with them. And, you know, I said to Zach, I was like, you know, I was really looking forward to reading that book tonight. I, I hope we still have a little time, but you know, when we, when we have these behavior issues, we lose some time for things like this. And he plastered this like fake smile on his face. He was really upset. He was crying. He plastered this weird fake smile on his face. And I said, Hey babe, what are you doing right now? And he's like, well, you're upset about not being able to read the book and I want you to feel happy. So I want to look happy. And I just like gathered him up into my arms and I was like, babe, never in your whole life ever do something that makes you feel bad to make someone else happy. Not even if that person is me. You don't ever need to do that because it's just going to make you feel bad inside. Like there's, there's nothing good that comes out of that. And he's like, well, but I love you and I want you to be happy. I'm like, oh God, do I feel that on so many levels? Like how many times have we done things to make other people happy that have made us just feel dead inside? And it's just, if we give them a platform to put all of their emotions on the table, we, we give them the, the building blocks to learn how to navigate those emotions. So I think that's just so important to say, you know, you feeling happy today? Cool. Want to cry the next minute? Awesome. I might cry while we're eating ice cream. That's fine too. Like, it's cool. I've been there. I've, yeah, right? <laughs> like, can you eat ice cream without crying as an adult? I don't think you can. <laughs> oh my gosh. Um, so basically just uh, closing things up here, um, I'm wondering, and Bish, you mentioned a couple of things already, but if you have suggestions for resources, either for kids or adults, could be books. I, I wrote shoes. That's funny. Shows, <laughs> websites, um, anything, anything like that. So I had a couple that I do really love. Um, for kids, there's, there's two books that I really like. Um, and, and it's funny, um, Bish mentioned the, uh, the Todd Parr book, which is amazing. But um, one of the books I really like is called The Invisible String, and it's by mm. Patrice Cart. Oh, it's so good. Who is, who is it by? Uh, it's Patrice Karst, K-A-R-S-T. Mm. And as you can tell, I've already gotten back up from Beach. It's a fantastic book. <laughs> it's, just, um, it's so, so good. And then there's another book that I really like called The Heart and the Bottle by Olive, Oliver Jeffers. Yeah, it's just really needed. It talks about basically like if you have, you know, a big emotion, which in this case is grief, if you have a big emotion and, and a big hurt, you can either, you know, put your heart in the bottle and kind of keep it away from everyone and protect it, or you can find different ways of connecting with people and maybe find people who are having some similar emotions, and similar feelings and 
um, you know, still be a part of the world, even though you're feeling very, very hurt and very, very raw right now. And it's just, oh, I love it. I love it so much. Um, and then for, yeah, it's, it's so good. It's so good. Like I want to read it right now. Um, and then for, <laughs> for adults, I mean, obviously there's like 5 billion books, but, um, one that I really liked that I think it's not, it's not that it's technically like, a, it's not a quick read. It's, it's an actual book. Um, it's a book by Joan Didion and it's called a year of magical thinking. Mm. And she's talking about, uh, she's a, you know, you, you find this on the back of the book. I'm not, I'm not giving any spoiler alerts here, but she's sitting at her, <laughs> she's sitting at her dinner table one night and she literally gets up to get something and turns around and her husband is dead. He died very instantly of a massive heart attack. It, it happened before she got to the butter or whatever she was trying to go get. And she kind of follows that, that next year of her life and, um, magical thinking, which I, I think I mentioned earlier, but magical thinking is this idea that if we do something differently or had done something differently, we could have somehow affected the outcome. Like you hear it with kids a lot, like, Oh, like my dad was running late for work that day because I didn't bring my backpack. And if he wasn't running late, then he wouldn't have been exactly where that car was when the car hit him. Yeah. Or, you know, I argued with my dad that morning and that's why something bad happened. If I never, ever, ever argue with anyone again, ever, everything will be okay. And it's just talking about kind of um, moving through that and understanding that life continues around you and it's, um, it's beautiful. And then I would just say in general for kids or adults, just any kind of journal, any place that's a safe space to write down what you're feeling or draw pictures or put, I don't know, tape things out of magazines, like whatever, just a place that you feel safe to kind of vomit out whatever it is that's inside because somehow getting it out just is so it's so soothing. And maybe it's just like drawing emojis. Like today I feel like the smiley face emoji today. I feel like the poop emoji, like whatever, just like <laughs> getting it out, you know? I love that. I love also I do. So each week with the kids, I do different themes and I do activities um, with the themes I'm we were doing like uh, all about me a, a week or two ago, and one of the days we were talking about feelings, and I have this little it's like a like a Lego person, and it has um, it's like a you know like a laminated piece of paper with a little Lego guy on it, and they and it just says like today I'm feeling, and it has all different faces that you can stick on it, um, and I love like I used there was a kid that I and I mean that was just something I printed out and laminated. You can find all that kind of stuff, Pinterest man, um, you can find all that kind of stuff. But that was something, and I even even did it with another um I had a kid who ha he was three almost four and had some trouble regulating his emotions and uh, we would do that every day we had like a little thing that we made with smiley you know a smiley face and a sad face and an angry face and we would say like how are you feeling today and we'd flip to it um and say like you know today I'm feeling that way and that can change throughout the day and we would check in but I think that that's that's a really good tool as well is checking in with kids about how they're feeling and and it can, and it's fun. It's like, wait, I get to change the Lego guy's face, you know, makes a game out of it. <laughs> so, um, there was one book above all else. Uh, it was the goodbye book mm -hmm. and it's, it's more for a younger age. It's very few words, mostly pictures, very, but very representative. Um, it's, uh, it's, you know, first page is two fish in a bowl an orange fish and a green fish. And then the second page, the green fish is gone. And it's just every page is a little different. It says, you know, sometimes you lose someone and then you're alone. And then it says, you know, some, you might feel angry. And it might just, and then it shows the fish in the bowl angry. You might feel sad. And it shows the fish crying. And then you might not be happy when other people are happy. And it shows other fish having a party and the one orange fish alone. <laughs> you know, it goes through. And then by the end of the book, it says, you know, eventually you might feel like 
talking to someone, like the fish is talking to a dog, and you know you might feel like drawing <laughs> a picture, and like there's a little, there's a little, uh, you know, uh, the fish is just painting a heart inside the the fish bowl, uh-huh. and that beyond all else really really helped. I think she she was attached to that book, and she associated that book with Teta so much. Um, it really helped. We had two other books that really she didn't grasp. There's one called, I think it's the I Miss You book, or I Miss You. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, and it goes through, and it is probably more related. It's a da- it's um, a girl losing her grandmother. Mm-hmm. And it, it's it's probably more geared for a slightly older. And I mean, for a mm-hmm. four-year-old too, she would definitely comprehend it, but didn't like it. It also, it goes through more specifically on some people believe that, you know, there is an afterlife and a soul goes away and it's kind of like a soul going, a drop of water going into an ocean. And some people, mm-hmm. you know, have rituals and, but then you should remember, you shouldn't think of the bad things that happen. Think of the good times. Um, those were the two main books, but even though, even the I miss you book wasn't, it didn't hit well with her. I think it was too much. It was too in depth. The goodbye yeah. book was nice and simple, and it very much almost just went through the progression of emotions that people have. Mm, in it's more about the feelings than exactly. And feelings stuff. are, you know, it's nice and simple. And she would make me read it a few times over, and she very much related with the fish, actually. Uh, you know, <laughs> and it, it was it was very helpful. It was very helpful, even. And then, uh, just uh, as we're closing things up, do you have any? personal things that you want to plug or if how people can find you on social media, if you would like to be found. <laughs> uh, I would love to actually. Yes. Um, the main project uh, that I'm working on uh, that we've been working on, uh, we've, it's been about a year now that we're working on it. It takes a long time to start something like this up, but we're starting a payment processing uh, company. So merchant oh, services. Cool. Yeah. So uh, just to simplify it, it's uh whether you're a brick and mortar company, self-employed, uh, something on the side, or e-commerce, franchise, global, it's to process credit cards, debit cards, interact, uh, ETFs, which are electronic fund transfers, um, and uh, not just in Canada, but the U.S. as well for ACH. Oh, cool. Yeah, and uh, we're not just a processor. Our uh, our system is actually functional in most regions of the world with most uh, companies in the world. We're already integrated, and we our system is extremely robust. Uh, we already actually, we haven't launched yet, but we will be very shortly. We already have a list of companies coming on board with us. Everything from, awesome. yeah, it's great. I mean, a lot of them are people that we know personally uh, or have had mm-hmm. relationships in the past. So everything from people we do deal with on a weekly, monthly, yearly basis, depths, bakeries, uh, daycares, restaurants um, in Montreal, but then also, uh, fran- like global franchises, large scale global e-commerce, uh, as well as domestic e-commerce, doing you know people anywhere, companies doing businesses doing anywhere from a few thousand a month to a few million a month. So I mean, for us, uh, we decided to do this because payment processing is or just taking payments in general is part of every business, no matter what. You can't run a business without it. Yeah, and, for sure. and one of our frustrations with dealing with it within multiple regions, not just Canada, but the U.S. and internationally has always been, there's, there's just, it's complicated and it's more complicated than it should be. Uh, there's a lot of bad practices and non-transparency and hidden fees and uh, lots of things yeah, we patch months later that we've been overpaying. Um, and for us, we decided, you know what, like this is, this is what we're doing next. And this is, it's, we've always done stuff that we believe in. And I mean, and just the same reason I'm on this podcast and I'm very much a community person. And although I like to do big projects, I need 
my mind very stimulated, I love to help people, whether it's in a small yeah. way or a big way. Yeah, I'm the same way. And, and I think, I think that's really awesome. And I think, you know, it's sort of in line with the same reason that I started the podcast. I was like, I, no one is doing this thing that I feel like should be done or the way, you know, the way that other things are being done is not the way, you know, I, I think, I think that that's, you know, there's, it's actually really awesome. There's a lot of people, whether it's, I see this a lot, like in children's books and where it's just like, well, the thing that I want isn't there. So I'm just gonna have to make it, <laughs> you know? All right. Well, um, on that note, I guess I will just thank you for, thank you so much for being here. I really appreciate it and dealing with all of our silly technical difficulties and, (laughs) and remember, stay rad. I'm Tom. I'm Will. And we're the hosts of Blasting Off Again, a Pokemon watch-through podcast brought to you by the Upford Network. We've taken on the monumental task of watching through every episode of Pokemon, providing in-depth analysis of everybody's favorite 90s dogfighting cartoon. We're asking the hard-hitting questions. Who's the real hero of this series? Why do some of these episodes get banned? Is Ash's treatment of his Pokemon abusive or just negligent? Is Charizard completely justified in treating Ash like the worst trainer of all time? Why don't more Pokemon have nipples? Which Pokemon would make the best professional wrestler? Is Farfetch'd your best option for Christmas dinner? Who even is that Pokemon? Are all cops bastards? Wait, I thought this was a Pokemon podcast. Uh... Anyway, tune into Blasting Off again on the Upward Network and we're wherever you find your podcasts. We're We're blasting blasting off again. again! Ding! Hi, I'm Howard Mitnick, host of Gateway Music. Join me as I talk with people about the artists and albums that changed their lives and about the artists and albums that changed mine. Available on the Upford Network and wherever you get your podcasts.